I'm Maureen Bellatori, and this is Spilled Salt. It's a podcast on the thrills and spills from the food, beverage, and agriculture industries. Today's guest is Kyle Peters. He is a brand and marketing leader, a former founder. Um, he's a mental health nonprofit president as well. We didn't get a chance to talk about that today. But what I love about today's conversation is that Kyle talks about his experience as a founder of an ice cream uh, brand called Carter and Oak and his strategic approach to business for that company, as well as the work that he's doing now. So he, um, after running his own company, he spent some time at Nestle and he is now at Jack Link's Protein Snacks as the Senior Director of Emerging Brands. So I love the parallels that he's drawing there in terms of his entrepreneurial experience and the work that he's doing now at Jack Link's with those brands. Um, but what I would love for you to take out of today's conversation is the part where we're talking about finding fit. It's something I'm deeply passionate about, the fact that life's too short for work you don't love. And uh, Kyle subscribes to that as well. So we talk about um, how he found a role that he deeply loves, um, even though that's different than what he thought it was gonna be. Enjoy the conversation. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. Yeah, um, we could finally get connected. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you've been you've been busy, and I look forward to talking about that today and some of the things that um, some of the changes that you've made over the the last handful of months. Um, but let's start with your background as a founder. Can you talk mm -hmm. about Carter and Oak? Yeah. Um, so I founded Carter and Oak in October of 2016, and. Um, you know, for me, I saw my mom battling stage four colon cancer and she had fought for seven years. She passed in uh, August of 2016. And that was really the catalyst for me starting the business. Mm, yeah. Um, and so I had seen after her treatment, she would have like a sore throat, a lack of appetite, high sensitivity to smell. And she was always turning to like ice cream, ice pops, you know, pudding, different things like that. But they're always super high in sugar, made with yeah. artificial ingredients, um, just things that weren't good. Right. And she didn't mm -hmm. want to drink any protein shakes that wasn't appealing to her. And uh, she was just routinely missing out on nutrition that she really needed. Mm -hmm. And so after she had passed, I, you know, was, I was kind of struggling myself and trying to find like my next steps and what I was going to do, um, what I was going to like do with myself because I was mm -hmm. doing uh, at-home hospice care pretty much full time with my dad for her. And oh, so wow. like I, I didn't really work. I wasn't really, I was, you know, personal training here and there, but um didn't really have like a full-time job per se. Mm -hmm. And so I had to find a way to like fill my time. That's what my dad was always telling me. He was like, you just need to fill your time. You had something that was filling your time before. Now right. you don't have that. You yeah. need to find this next step. And I'd always wanted to start my own business. I went to college for marketing. And so I always had that bug to, to start something. Mm -hmm. um, and this really gave me a purpose. And so I blended the comfort and indulgence of the ice cream she was already eating with nutrition that she missed out on. Mm -hmm. So I developed a high protein, zero added sugar ice cream. And my goal was to not be like Halo Top and be in grocery stores everywhere. It was to be in every hospital on every patient tray everywhere. Mm, uh, interesting. Natural grocery, natural grocery was going to be part of it, right? That was going to be complimentary. That was going to be where like it was proven. Because the thing is, you can't just call hospitals and all of a sudden you're on, on a tray next week, right? Right. Uh, you can walk into an independent grocery store and you can be on shelf next week. Yeah. Uh, so there was definitely, it's definitely tough because you go against maybe what your strategy is to get started, proof of concept and everything else. But in the background, constantly working to, you know, 
partner with Aramark, partner with Sodexo, Compass Group, Flick, all those guys. And so, um, so yeah, we worked with natural groceries, uh, natural grocery stores in the mid-Atlantic. Uh, we worked with NFL teams because I played college across. And so I ate a pretty healthy diet myself and saw that there was obviously like a nice application to uh, athletes and had a couple opportunities that were easier than maybe expected. And it was like, yeah, this makes sense, goes along with the food service strategy. And so um, we worked with NFL teams and then ultimately worked with some like independent uh, assist living facilities, retirement communities. And then we did at the end get accepted by Aramark to work with two Philadelphia area hospitals and actually take the place of Hershey, take the place of Hershey products on every patient, patient tray. Can't speak oh, wow. to, to take the place of every, <laughs> uh, to take that place of the Hershey products on every patient tray in those couple Philly hospitals. Wow. That's huge. Um, that was at the very end. So we never ultimately yeah. got to see that through. Mm. Um, but we did get accepted. The, the opportunity was there. And ultimately that was, ironically like what kind of put the the nail in the coffin um after you know supply chain issues and stuff like that after covid so i'll pause right there so that's, that's a lot yeah i was gonna say you hinted at <laughs> yeah. that you know you ended up closing the mm -hmm. company and so yep. just to put you know sort of a period at the end of that sentence yep. before i asked you ask you a bunch of questions about what you just went through what was the ultimate reason why you chose to close the company yeah. So I was, I, I think it's super important to know, like I was fully bootstrapped, didn't raise any funding, put, you know, a decent bit on like personal credit cards, um, and got a few thousand dollars from my dad. Um, mm -hmm. and by a few thousand dollars, I actually mean like a few thousand dollars, not like sneakily. Yeah. Like I have like a very rich dad who was writing me like massive checks. He gave me a yeah. few thousand dollars to help out on packaging one time. And then I, you know, I had a little bit of money saved up myself and that was like what got me started. And then I would put some things just ongoing on personal credit cards. Um, and, and yeah, so after COVID we had seen an increase in our cost of goods, uh, that some, like for some ingredients was a hundred percent increase, like our whey protein isolate yeah. increased a hundred, maybe even a little more than a hundred percent at the time, uh, chicory, uh, inulin from chicory root. That was even just tough to allocate, let alone, you know, the effect that it had on our, on our margins because that had also increased in costs. Mm -hmm. So when we were, when I was looking at, you know, how, what our margins were going to look like moving forward and, and how much we were going to have to be shelling out on these ingredients to make the product that we've been making and selling to customers. And by customers, I mean like retail partners or the food service partners. Um, it just wasn't going to make sense anymore. Right. And in food service, when my whole goal and the, the market I was going after was to be free to the end consumer, right? Being on a patient tray, you're free to the patient, right? Right. So it's included in kind of that contract that the food service operators uh, signed mm. with, you know, Sodexo and Aramark. And so they only have a finite range that they're willing right. to pay, pay for that real estate on the tray, right? Mm -hmm. Even if it's considerably better than the Hershey products and it, you know, it's not curing cancer. It might be helping people with cancer, but it's not the thing that's going right. to cure the cancer. Right. So that range is not going to change. And we yeah. were not going to be able to fit within those ranges anymore uh, mm -hmm. due to the increase of, of costs. Right. And so for me, I was actually fundraising at that time. I was looking mm. to raise my first million. I had 10 or 20% committed in like the first couple of weeks. Uh, but I put the kibosh on it just because looking down, you know, looking down at projections and, and forecasts and everything, it was, it was going to ultimately just kick the can down the road, right? The, yeah. the costs of those ingredients were going to be the cost of those ingredients. Funding wasn't going to solve that problem. Right. Um, yeah. Especially so. with the food service strategy, right? Exactly. For the reason yep. that you just explained, right? That, yep. and I'm, I would love for you to kind of talk about that a little bit because you sold into mm -hmm. both, 
food service, mm -hmm. and retail. Can you talk about how the margins were different for both of those approaches? Yeah. Um, so in retail, uh, and in retail, we did pretty well. It's just I didn't see it continuing nationwide. Mm. Like we did well yeah. regionally, but I, mm -hmm. I just – we were doing like 11 and a half units per skew per week in the mid Atlantic, but there was no way that that was going to extrapolate out to the entire country and maintain. Um, I just did not have confidence in that. And I would think based on kind of the market and what some of the other like better for you, ice creams are how they're performing right now. I would say the, that assumption was probably pretty correct. Mm. Um, but margin wise, I, you know, I always just the starting point for me, cause there's always nuances to categories, like especially what I'm learning right now in the category that I, that I work in today, um, margins are a bit different in retail mm -hmm. than they were for me in frozen desserts um, mm -hmm. and also specific channels, right? So the conventional channel is different than the natural channel, which is different than um, the like out of home channels. So like all retailers or C store and places like, they're all very different. There's yeah, all a lot of right. nuance. Um, I just talked to a, an online natural retailer that it takes like 43%, right? I like to account for 40% when it comes to retail. And then when it comes to distributors, I like to account for 25. Mm -hmm. um, and that can sound super high. And, but I think if you're talking natural grocery and you're working with K or UNFI, 25 could end up being a very much so a reality for you. Yeah. Um, so much and it's better, better to, to work in more. Exactly. I was just going to yeah. say the same thing, yeah. work in extra and then be pleasantly surprised yeah. if you have a little bit left. Yeah. I think there's too many founders that run their numbers based off best case scenario. Yeah. And then when reality hits or they get a charge back and whatever else, they're in a mm -hmm. really ugly situation. And then that's how you can put yourself out of business basically. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so that's what I like to account for. Mm -hmm. Reality always ends up being a little bit different or, uh, or change up. So. Right. Yeah. Uh, but then, so, sorry. And for food service, yeah. I didn't speak to food mm -hmm. service. Yes. Food service is very different. Um, and I'm trying to remember because I haven't played in food service now for a couple of years. Um, but they don't, they work in like rebates, not necessarily, uh, and they talk in terms of markup, not in, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So it's like, you have to right. reverse your thinking. Uh, and honestly, I mean, maybe you've already spoken with him, Matt Cotton. Mm, have no. you talked to him at all? I no, should probably but connect I you should. with him to have like a, a better food service conversation. Um, yeah. He could break everything down super well for you. I'm almost like hesitant because I'm trying to like mm. claw back and remember the numbers. I just don't want to like give a number and then somebody's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And they use that. And then like, right. you know, I'm ruining it for them. Yeah. Um, but they are different. They speak in terms yeah. of like rebates and uh, markup versus margin and like, um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that, those enough. are like the big differences there, but I'll connect yep. you with Matt Cotton and he can co yeah. come on and, and nerd out on all the food service. Uh, I would love that. That sounds margin. great. Yeah. Excellent. So the, one of the things I wanted to talk about in your time at Carter and Oak, because this is kind of the area that we play in, is that you rebranded the company in 2020. Can you mm -hmm. talk about that a little bit? Yeah. What led I you mean, to that decision? Why did you want to rebrand? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the strategy from the beginning was to tiptoe a line of one packaging style, one design style, and being able to play in food service in a hospital, in mm -hmm. a retirement facility or somewhere else, but then also um, still be able to be effective on shelf in a grocery store, right? Mm -hmm. Because typically a lot of brands will have different types of packaging for those different, uh, channels, but I didn't have the money or the means to be able to make specific, you know, channel specific packaging. Yeah. And, and that's just before you move on from that, that's a common yeah. misconception that I think people, 
you know, sometimes they come to us and they say, I want this. Sometimes it's an entirely different brand for the food mm -hmm. service approach compared to yeah, retail. Absolutely. And they forget that now you have to spend almost double the marketing cost, right? And you're mm -hmm. creating double the materials and you're mm -hmm. pushing twice as hard, right? When you're mm -hmm. pushing two different brands, they just think, oh, well, I just have, you know, they think of it as like two products, but it really is the branding is a, mm -hmm. a whole different thing. So yeah. I just wanted to make that point. No, absolutely. And so for me, like, and like, that's tough to do, right? Especially mm -hmm. because for me, the one setting is very clinical and the other setting is more just not like you're in a gro right. you know, a whole foods or a, you know, uh, a mom's organic market, like a regional natural chain or something like mm -hmm. that. Right. And so, but the other thing is that I, I had good insight around my customer that was in the healthcare facility because of my mom. Right. And understood that they're already given so many like drugs and prescriptions and clinical things that mm. the less clinical it feels, the better. Mm. Like they just yeah, want right. normalcy. They want to feel like they pulled something off shelf. So that's mm -hmm. actually where there's a lot of like RTDs and different products that have this clinical focus that are maybe covered by insurance or that you buy at a CVS or whatever else. They have a very clinical feeling, but the, they're being bought because like their doctors are telling these patients and right. and people to go and buy them, not mm -hmm. necessarily because people are discovering and being like, oh, I want this. And when they do purchase, it doesn't really give them a good feeling, mm -hmm. right? Like they don't feel normal. Like I'm buying another prescription. Like I'm buying mm -hmm. another thing that my doctor, my doctor wants me to buy. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't really give them a sense of like comfort or like mm -hmm. enjoyment. So that experience is very different. And so for me, it was really important to be able to bring that more normal experience, that more like comforting experience so that it looked like a product that you were just pulling off shelf. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to get back to the root of your question, I promise. And um, and so I was just like, I, the big thing for me was like looking at tips of that line. But when I started, I, I graduated college in 2015. I was a year out of college mm. and went for marketing. I didn't learn. I really didn't learn anything when I was in college for marketing. If I'm just being very honest, my best class, the best class for me that was very, that was very applicable was when we partnered with uh, a, the graphic design um mm, students interesting and, and yeah it was really cool actually we got to like you have to like learn how to work and like lead a creative because right. you have to speak and interact very differently and like to mm -hmm. me that's that was a great course that was the best class that i had in college um but in terms of everything else there's nothing compared to like starting your own business and yeah uh, it's funny because while the goal was to go in healthcare and everything else i think i just saw the opportunity in like fitness to be a little bit more like prominent or easier or whatever else. And I was thinking just more like fun. And I just wasn't thinking tactically or strategically mm -hmm. and didn't really mm -hmm. have any experience to pull on. And so when I launched, I launched under six pack creamery, which mm -hmm. I thought was kind of like funny. And I shopped it around with different people and I probably didn't shop with the right people. I probably shopped mm -hmm. with people that were just going to support me for the sake of supporting me. Um, and yeah, like everybody like loved it. Everybody loved it. You, you know, true or Air false, quotes, I have no idea. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a much more discerning, uh, uh, I'm much more discerning now when it comes to those conversations and know the right people to talk to and everything else. But years ago, I, I didn't. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it was six pack creamery. I thought it was kind of funny because it was high protein and um, like the logo was like a flexing cow. And I even took it to like the nonprofit that like helped my mom out and everything when mm -hmm. she was sick and mm -hmm. like ran it by them and stuff. And like, they liked it, but the reality was like, it just wasn't a good fit, right? Like it just, mm -hmm. it didn't, yeah. you know, doesn't it just scream didn't, healthcare. doesn't scream healthcare. Not even that it needed to, it just didn't scream. I don't know. It, it just didn't feel right. Like, I don't know mm -hmm. if it was necessarily wrong because even, you know, when they, when 
people that were battling cancer would have the product because I would go and I would donate product as well. Like mm-hmm. they loved it and they would like laugh about it. It was kind of funny and it was fine. It just could have been so much better, right? Mm, and ultimately yeah. I went to a place where like, because the product also wasn't cheap. So mm-hmm. I wanted to rebrand to something that was like more premium, something yeah. like we could own because what I would always hear is like six pack cream. We're like, oh, is this like beer ice cream? Like, is this huh. ice cream that has like beer in it or is it beer flavored? It was either people understood it right away or people were like, is this beer ice cream? And I just didn't want that confusion. And when you, would, yeah. when you would like Google six pack creamery, we were like the first things that popped up, but there was like a lot of other things that would pop up too. And I wanted to just like own a search yeah. and have mm-hmm. something kind of yep. be arbitrary. So there was no preconceived notions going into my brand. Mm-hmm. And so I rebranded to Carter and Oak. And uh, that was because I grew up on Oak Hill Drive and the facility that I had was on uh, Carter Drive. So I was like, what? okay, cool. This sounds, you know, it's pretty arbitrary. It didn't exist in terms of like there was nobody on the domain for it. When yeah. you Googled it, nothing, nothing popped up, like n- nothing, like lumber popped up, like two yeah. by fours and stuff right. right at Home Depot. So I was like, oh, great. We can own that too. Um, and so, yeah, just, I worked with wow. a freelancer and I wish I knew her name. She was great. She used to work at Whole Foods for a while and then she started doing freelance after the fact and everything. Um, and then I would do like fine tuning myself. I always did like, yeah. I've worked in, in Adobe, um, since like high school. So yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Very cool. So after you closed the doors for Carter and Oak, you landed mm-hmm. some pretty cool roles and you're doing very different work now compared mm-hmm. to being an entrepreneur. So talk, tell us about yeah. that a little bit. Yeah, I would actually say, I'll, and I'll start at my first opportunity after I shut down the, the company. Um, but what I'm doing now is actually super founder. It's super close to being a founder and not even like me, just like, like it actually is. Um, which is crazy, uh, and chaotic. But, um, so right at, right after I shut down, I made a LinkedIn post and I made the LinkedIn post because truthfully in my head, I was, it was from a place of like being self-conscious. Cause I was like, I was like, damn, you know, I'm shutting down the business and not that I had any followers on LinkedIn or anything, or like people knew who I was, but the few people that did, I was like, they're going to see me going from being like the ice cream guy to just doing something else. And they're going to, you know, just go, Ooh, like, I guess, you know, I guess that whole ice cream thing didn't work out for him. Oh, right? interesting perspective. And so, yeah. yeah. So I was like, I want to write the narrative, right? Cause to me, I was like, no, people liked it and it sold well in, in grocery and we had great opportunities. And I was like, the numbers sucked. And ultimately mm-hmm. that's why I shut down, right? The numbers, the numbers just sucked from an economic standpoint. And to yeah. me, I would like, I always make the argument that if you can make the call to shut down because of a reason like that, that's actually to your benefit. And that should actually be seen as a strength, right? Absolutely. Like, yes. You I made the and... really hard decision at year five, instead of mm-hmm. pulling in millions from, you know, from yeah, fundraisers, and... family, yeah, friends. Exactly. Yes. Um, and so I think that that's something, and I say that not to pat myself on the back to give for any other founders that are listening and had to make a tough exactly. call like that too. Like, give yourself some grace, right? Like that's not easy. And it's the right, it's most of the time when you shut down, it is the right call. Most of the time, not always. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people just stop too soon or whatever else, but also you're probably doing that because you just don't have the passion, in which case it's still the right call. You know, mm-hmm. shutting down is rarely the wrong call. Um, so I, I'm sorry, I'm getting back to the, what was the initial question? Oh my what God. What you're doing now. What I'm doing now. Thank you. Yeah. You're <laughs> um, welcome. My brain doesn't work well sometimes. Um, so yeah, so I made that LinkedIn post. Um, and 
just talked about like the journey and everything else where I was and kind of like what I thought I was looking to do next. Cause what I actually thought I wanted to do next was not even close actually to what I wanted to do. I, I learned, hmm. um, but from that LinkedIn post, for whatever reason, it kind of caught like a little fire. Well, for relative to any LinkedIn post I had ever made, it, it caught fire sure. and, um, just got super lucky where people in the industry saw it. And the response was crazy compared to what I had expected. And so I had other founders asking me to consult for them, other hmm. founders asking about like me advising. Um, I had larger companies reaching out about me interviewing startups, asking me to interview and everything else like that. And so I ended up having all these interviews set up like right after that post, it was crazy. You know, and the context of, of the post was, this is why Carter and Oak shut down and here's what I'm looking for. Pretty much. Yeah. I have okay. it pinned on my LinkedIn. So it's like the, yeah, when you're scrolling, it's, I think it's like one of the posts that's like very easy to find okay, on my, great. um, on my profile. If anybody wants to like check that out. But, um, but yeah, so that was more or less what it was. It was like, mm -hmm. this is what I was doing and, you know, kind of shut down. It was a great time. This is what I learned. And, you know, this is what I'm looking to do next. Right. Mm -hmm. So if anybody knows of anything, like, let me know. Mm -hmm. um, and, and yeah, so a bunch came my way and actually took a, sh took a short stint at a venture backed startup uh, as the VP of ops is like employee five or something. And learn, and it, it just wasn't the right fit for me. Um, mm -hmm. I think from personalities meshing and I think they didn't necessarily I think they needed like a manager, they needed mm -hmm. to hire like a manager and associate, but they were hiring and paying for much more. Mm -hmm. And so it just wasn't a fit for anybody after a while. And so I just made the call. I was like, Hey guys, I'm, I'm going to step away. I think this is my recommendation for you guys moving mm -hmm. forward. If you're going to listen to anything that I say, like this would be my recommendation. You can pay, you know, a fraction of what you're paying mm -hmm. me. And then, you, you'll be able to have more control, right? I wasn't looking to be a, a yes man. I never mm -hmm. am. Um, and yeah. that's something I think is innate in all founders. And so it's really tough to find that right role for you um, in the right company that'll allow you to really like flourish and take ownership and um, and lead. And so, so yeah, that was short. It was great. I, you know, I learned enough there, um, learned, learned some good things. And then uh, Nestle had actually recruited me for two different roles in the comments of that initial LinkedIn post, which to me was bonkers and then That's so i wild. went yeah so went back and i actually had a conversation because i was like i told him i was like hey actually i accept this offer with another company um and he was like i still want to have a conversation like let's let's just like see so we just did and he was like cool like let me know in the future let's just keep in touch whatever else uh and so when i left i shot him an email i was like hey actually you know that really wasn't the best fit for me and i'm I'm super open to interviewing if you're into it. And yeah. so I interviewed for two different roles at Nestle and accepted uh, a job under what the, their title was uh, growth hacker. So I worked in their accelerator, which is like an internal accelerator, not what most people in the startup world think of. So right. it wasn't external companies going through a program that we had us investing. That was not the setup. Oh. It was, it was an internal accelerator. Nestle used startup terms incorrectly all the time. And I used to Gee. bring it up all the time. Um, so we, yeah, so our accelerator was internal accelerator and it was really cool, but it was, uh, to very quickly validate or invalidate white space innovation opportunities. And so we worked wow, that's in, fun. yeah, it was cool. And so, um, I covered creamers, coffee and all frozen foods. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, we, it was myself and my colleague, we were the only ones that were full-time on these projects. And then every project was supposed to be six months. Um, and then you were supposed to go from like 
like a very like rough scope. I don't even necessarily want to share like what that because it was like a sentence. It was like a single sentence that yeah. was like a that was the product that you were trying to make. Um, hmm. But it was more so it wasn't specific. It was like very vague. It was more so like a feeling and emotion mm -hmm. for a specific consumer maybe. Mm -hmm. And it didn't always have a brand tied to it. Uh, sometimes it did. Sometimes it didn't. But then myself, my colleague would kind of like build out that scope. And then we would get a cross-functional team that would have like a brand manager, uh, somebody from maybe like finance or supply chain, always like a product developer. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. Uh, and maybe like one or two other, other team members, right? And then we would then lead them through the process and we would go through the entire ideation process, um, packaging design, all of those things, and then launch the product on shelf with a retail partner um, for like six to 12 weeks and then judge velocities, incrementality, source of volume, all these different things to then pitch it back to our stakeholders. How uh, which, cool. So, yeah. You know, in, when I share it now, like it sounds really cool when you're in the nitty gritty for like my role, it wasn't as truthfully, it just like, wasn't as fun as I was hoping. Mm. Um, I think there was like, I almost feel like you, we could have done the same with like less people. And I think that's kind of the challenge at large companies is like, you have so mm, many yeah. people and they live in such verticals. Like for me, I, I truly felt like I probably could have done like three people's like work across right and again that's a not like patting myself on the back i think most people yeah. can do that yeah right? but you get so specialized in large companies right um it's tough to move super agile and to work cross-functionally because mm -hmm. people have their functions and they live in their roles totally um, and in the startup world like you have to spread you have to have yeah. competency across the board right? right and so i feel like that was something uh for me like it was tough to have to live in just a box, right? Mm -hmm. And I think for some people it's perfect. Mm -hmm. And for those people it works really, really well. But for me, I was always like wanting to do other things uh, yeah. and help out in different areas, which ultimately doesn't help the team, right? Like you have mm -hmm. to stay in your lane. Yeah, um, You're, you were looking found, for fit, right? Like you yeah, were looking absolutely. for something that was a great fit. And that, that responsibility is yep. a great fit for a person that wants to be the champion for a thing to mm -hmm. bring across the finish line. That wasn't for you. That's not a dig at anybody. Yeah. You know, no, it's no. just to say that that wasn't for you. Exactly. Um, yeah. But taking a step back and looking at like the work that we did and that the teams accomplished, like super cool. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that yeah. was really fun. And the, to me, the pitching to the stakeholders, because the stakeholders, the proximity that I got, uh, like to the people within the organization was incredible. Mm -hmm. Our president of coffee for Nestle Global, you know, the uh, our chief strategy officer for the U.S., um, VPs of different brands and everything else like that. Like these people, you know, people you could argue are like the most important people in the global coffee economy. Wow. Like you know, because Nestle is the number one <laughs> purchaser of coffee in the world. Mm -hmm. Like you know, it's it's crazy, right? It's really cool to take a step back, you know presented to like the art, uh, the global chief te uh, technology officer and everything. Right. So it's just, that stuff was really fun for me. I yeah. loved that. Mm -hmm. um, but some of the more like day to day where you had to live in like a box that wasn't necessarily as fulfilling. Mm -hmm. um, and then I ended up leaving Nestle uh, after about like 18 months. Mm -hmm. And so that was August, August of 2023. And I had an opportunity to join Jack Link's um, Jack Link's protein snacks. So the beef jerky, uh, with Sasquatch, uh, joined them, joined them as their senior director of emerging brands. Uh, so I lead a portfolio of emerging brands. There's four brands in it. Um, country, fresh meats, 
uh, Golden Island Beef Jerky, Larissa's Kitchen, and Wild River. Um, so all meat snack companies and um, probably, I don't know if I can necessarily share, I probably, I don't know. I'm going to not for the sake of being safe, um, <laughs> but it's, you know, Jack Links is a very large company. All these brands are growing multi-millions each, uh, some much larger than others, but it's really fun. I have a team mm-hmm. of four right now, brand managers, senior brand managers, um, and our goal, we just need to grow the brands, right? So I, I'm super fortunate because like my boss just like, just lets me go. Um, that's awesome. It's incredible. It's as perfect of a job as I could imagine. Oh, right? that's which so I, I great. Never, which I never thought I would necessarily say like being an employee. Um, well, that's the other thing. It. That's the other thing too about why I emphasize fit because mm-hmm. it's such an important thing for people to understand what they do and don't enjoy doing. And you don't mm-hmm. have to know in advance. No, you know, you I can didn't. wait until you're in it. You know, and you're. Is it yeah. working? How do you feel about the work that you're doing? And I think that that's something that I talk about a lot with the mm-hmm. brands that we work with, the you know folks on my team. And anybody that will listen, I'm talking fit, right? That mm-hmm. you have to kind of be open to understanding, is this what I want to be doing or not? And so I imagine that the work that you're doing now is the parallel that you were going to draw to entrepreneurship. Yes. You mentioned yeah, earlier absolutely. on, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, I need to be like, I, and, and it truthfully, it's a credit to I'm going to sound like I'm just drinking the Kool-Aid and I promise I'm not. And I think my experience at Nestle kind of like, you know, if I was drinking the Kool-Aid, I'd probably still be at Nestle and just singing their praises. Right. But like, truthfully, it's a credit to the culture at Jack Link's, you know, we're, we're privately owned Troy Link, who is Jack Link's son owns hundred percent of the company. Um, and so it still has the spirit of like entrepreneurship because he runs the company uh, as the CEO. Right. And so his, like the heart and soul of that family is ingrained in, you know, the core values here and the core mm-hmm. values of the company are actually displayed. It's the first time I actually like see core values on the wall, but also experience it in a day-to-day like interaction with, with people here. Right. Yeah. And so, um, it's incredible because of that sense, like they really celebrate the, yeah, go and get shit done and trust your gut. And, you know, we're, you're here for a reason type thing. And then mm-hmm. my boss, uh, she, you know, she spent 25 or so, 25, 30 years at Hormel, ri- you know, rising through the ranks, doing everything, um, an absolute killer. And she joined the organization a few months before me. And, uh, and she was the one that hired me and, and trusted me in this role. And, uh, and she just has a lot of, I would say a lot of like respect for my background as a founder, which not mm-hmm. every every leader has at a company like this. Yeah, I agree. Um, she has a lot of respect for, for my background and just a lot of like trust and faith. And I, you know, I'd like to think that comes through the way that I've worked with her initially, but we built rapport like right away. And f- mm-hmm. for her as a leader, it's very much like freedom within in a framework and some of that said mm-hmm. throughout the organization. And so we just communicate, we communicate a ton and it's not micromanaging. It's truly communication, just like passion through the conversations that we have. And she just empowers me to go and like get things done because her whole thing is, you know, she brought me here for a reason and I've worked in this world before and built a brand before. And, um, yeah. And she just, you know, it's growth, like just grow. 
and yeah, uh, get creative fantastic. with it and, and do what you got to do. And um, if you're somebody that can just go and figure it out, like this is an organization that supports that. So for me, it, you know, I'm doing some of the things like I'm just pick up the phone and calling, right? We don't necessarily have a big, we don't have an organization, a sales uh, department that's done a ton in the natural channel. So like hmm. I, you know, I was down at a, at the corporate headquarters for a natural grocer uh, last week. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm getting to flex into doing some sales things too. So like, I get to spread across a few different functions and yeah. work with our cross-functional teams, you know, in finance and everything else. But I'm able to truly like general manage these brands because I know the right questions to ask when it comes to finance, when it comes to ops and all these different things, which ultimately I feel helps the brands everywhere. Um, and so talk a little bit about those four emerging brands that you mentioned. What's mm-hmm. the, what's the scenario? Like, are they, mm-hmm. are they, wholly owned by Jack links? Are they acquisitions? Mm-hmm. Were they mm-hmm. initial, like, were they startups that were created to fill little sort of holes in the, in the industry? Yep. Yeah. Can I, I want to touch on something before we get too far. Something yeah. you were saying before, I think it's really important just for any other like founders and stuff that are listening to this. You were talking about, um, like finding the right fit and everything mm-hmm. else. For me, I had no idea what I wanted. In that original post, I made, I talked about me wanting to get into like supply chain and operations because for me, the goal for me is to be a CEO. And right now I'm thinking, thinking it could end up changing. I want to be the CEO of like a billion dollar brand by the time that I'm 40. I just turned mm-hmm. 31 on Saturday, but that's like, that's the goal. And so, um, I didn't realize what my path to get there necessarily was. But for me, once I stopped, I was like, it's operations. Like that's the path that I need to take is to get into ops. But I ultimately learned like that wasn't where I really wanted to be. And the CMO route is ultimately a CEO route now as well, right? With the mm-hmm. way digital marketing and everything else has progressed over the years. Um, CMOs are be, are getting CEO opportunities far more than, than they had in the past. Yeah, and so. Agreed. Yeah. And it's way more fun. I just enjoy this more too. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if I ultimately only end up becoming a CMO, like that's awesome. I just want to enjoy what I'm doing. And and that's something I learned about myself too. Yeah. And and I dropped the only there. Right. You know, I mean, that's that's exactly. Yeah. 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 Yes. Um, Yes, absolutely. Thank you for checking that. And, uh, (laughs) but, but yeah, so, but I had no idea what I would do. Right. And when I went to Nestle, like that role, I was like, oh, this is going to be good. But, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't right. And I don't blame that solely on Nestle. I think it was, it was a mix, right? I think Nestle maybe could have understood their, the role that they were offering a little bit better and communicated mm-hmm. better, but I also didn't know enough about myself. So it's like a hundred percent, not on Nestle. Like it's, yeah, it, right. was, it was, it took, you know, it takes two to tango. Right. Um, mm-hmm. so it's certainly me just not knowing myself enough as well, but mm-hmm. that role allowed me to learn more about myself and figure out what it was. The one thing I want to say is that anybody that's interviewing or looking for that right role, apply to a wide range of roles and opportunities and titles because the title isn't always indicative of the function internally at that company and it's not always necessarily indicative of the compensation there's sometimes director Mm -hmm. roles that are making what uh you know what an analyst is making at some other company there's sometimes analysts you know there's senior managers at google that are making half a million dollars Mm -hmm. right like so you you need to interview and it sucks because interviewing is exhausting and the Mm -hmm. process is not fun but interview as much as you can and sometimes interview and apply to jobs that you don't even really want, but you want to understand. And like, mm-hmm. that's, that's what I did as well. It, mm-hmm. it helped me learn a ton, ultimately what I wanted. And I was using those interviews to learn more, which guess what companies are doing that too. I was, I was the, the interesting, uh, interview, right? I made it through the final round in a lot of job opportunities, but I was always going against the more conventional opportunity, the mm-hmm. more conventional hire. So yeah. I was, the, I was the 
fun hire, if you want to call that, or like the weird hire, potentially. <laughs> yeah. And then they always had somebody, though, that I was going against mm -hmm. that was more conventional. Mm -hmm. And in the economic environment that we were in while I was interviewing, it always ended up going to the more conventional person because they had more trust and faith, right? Yeah. Founders are typically seen as flight risks. Mm -hmm. You might start another business. Mm -hmm. You might yeah, get antsy, point. which is totally fair. But you need mm -hmm. to know that as somebody that's interviewing with companies. Um, so I used companies the same way that they were using me where I would go and try to learn through the interviews, uh, yeah. ultimately like, to my, for my benefit of, okay, how can I zero in on the more specific roles that I want? And for context, I applied and I hadn't said this anywhere and I hadn't posted anywhere cause I was unsure how people might like mm -hmm. view it. I applied to 935 jobs on LinkedIn alone. Wow. Um, and did a ton of interviews. And again, it wasn't because I necessarily wanted all of them, mm -hmm. but I needed to learn. I need to learn mm -hmm. more about me. And mm -hmm. that process helped. And now I can say I'm in a role that is like as much of a dream job as I can imagine at this point in my life. Right. Yeah. And so, kudos to you too for for doing that and for thinking of it in that way. Because we so even when I hire people for my own agency. Mm -hmm. I am I am frequently asking them that I want you to interview me as much mm -hmm. as I'm interviewing you. This is not a one-sided thing. Is this yeah. I I the best case scenario is for me to have somebody sitting on the other side of that table that mm -hmm. this is their dream job. It's their dream trajectory and you know all of mm -hmm. that stuff. So <clears throat> yeah. it's it's a very uncommon thing but I hope it that sucks. people it's not listening fun, that process. Yeah, it's not that fun. process it's is not, not fun. fun. And but, sometimes I got really attached to a job that I was going through the process on and I wanted it mm -hmm. and then I didn't get it. And I was like, I don't want to go through more interviews. You have to do it, right? You want to be mm -hmm. brokered. <laughs> do you want yeah. a job? Or do you, or want, you want to land in a job like, that you're going to hate every day, right? Exactly. That's the alternative, yeah. right? Is that yes, you just 100%. take the first job offer that's out there and then you hate, yeah. you hate it. So yep. I'm going to, yes. let's table for later the, the, the other question that you had. Yeah. Unless you can oh, answer okay. it quickly. Sorry. I just want to be respectful yeah, of your yeah. time. Uh, yeah. What was it again? Real quick. Um, talking oh, about the, the, brands. the emerging yep. brands you're working with. What's I the scenario? Run, I can run through super quickly. So Golden Island was an acquisition. We bought them. We acquired them from uh, Tyson, I want to say four-ish years ago. Um, they were originally started by a family, and I don't want to mess up their background. It was uh, It's a family of uh, Asian heritage, and their grandfather was um, – their grandfather was in like – was in – you know, World War II or something like that. Mm. It was a family recipe. They had made it and grown it. Um, the story is really cool. You can find it broken down pretty well on uh, Wikipedia, um, honestly. And uh, and from there, they grew it. And I think it was in the in like 2009, roughly. Tyson acquired them. Mm -hmm. um, Tyson ran it for a little while, and then we acquired them about four ish years ago. And which that's, one was that? That's Golden Island. Okay. And so they are. We're primarily in clubs, so we're Costco nationwide. Mm. We are BJ Sam's Club. Uh, we're in Canada as well. We're in a couple other countries. Um, and we also are in Albertsons. We're in some targets. Uh, I think most most targets, maybe not all. And then we are in about like 65% of Walmarts, I think. Mm. Um, but mostly club. Club is our main channel. These other, the, you know, these other um, retail partners are more new um, yep. for the brand. So that's great. I was actually a customer of Golden Island like years ago before you know, this was even a thought um, of being here. And so another one is Country Fresh Meats. So those are refrigerated meat snacks. So they're like meat sticks <laughs> or uh, meat and cheese, what we call uh, combos. Yep. So it's like a meat stick and a cheese stick. Um, sometimes we do like uh, like almost like 
meat bites and there's like cheese mm. curds in those packs as well. Mm-hmm. That's mostly in C stores. Um, we're looking at some different distribution strategies coming up as well. So that'll be uh, driving some really good growth for us. That one's like very minimally branded. Like mm. you'll look at it and be like, what is this? Because uh, it seems <laughs> super like it seems just super, super bare bones. It does very well. And Interesting. There's a, pla- there's, a, there's a place for that type of brand mm-hmm. in the world. It's just it's you got to find the right place for it. Uh, mm-hmm. But we certainly have. And, and C-Store has, has been really great for us. Um, the other one is Wild River. A little bit newer. That's a brand that we spun up internally a couple years ago. Uh, that is like old fashioned style jerky. So it's thinner. It's tougher. Uh, mm. That's my it's my personal favorite jerky from everything that we have here. Um, and that is, again, in most C stores. Uh, it's mostly C store distribution that we have with them. Um, we have a few different types of jerky. It's like chili. Um, we have a green chili. We have like mild and then just our old fashioned. Then we also do two different types of biltong. We call them steak slices. Uh, mm-hmm. So it doesn't say biltong on the packaging, but it's super, super tender. And we uh, got the biltong capability from uh, an acquisition that we made. So we acquired mm-hmm. a company that had biltong manufacturing capabilities. So we now we own all manufacturing in house. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last one is Larissa's Kitchen. So that has been around for a handful of years in a few different ways. Larissa is Troy Link's wife. So um, she, you know, their family has, we're launching a new, I'm going to back up. We're launching the brand totally new, starting actually at Expo West this year. And um, it'll be totally repositioned, rebranded. We're going to be in new retailers by the end of this year. The official launch for when we'll be able to sell and everything is going to be more in like, uh, like May, June time right around mm-hmm. there um so more information will come on that but it's going to be top nine allergen free t- it'll be certified top nine allergen free mm-hmm. larissa has a son who has some se- severe uh allergies food allergies topical allergies different things like that and one weekend you know her son had an adverse reaction to something and yet she had to sit with him in a bleach bath for hours Right. Oh my so it's God. something that's super visceral, super, super personal and emotional. And we realized that, like there's no meat snack in the category that really can instill confidence in these allergen yeah. shoppers. Mm-hmm. And one in four Americans are shopping with an allergen lens. They're, mm-hmm. they're shopping looking to avoid one yeah, of the top nine frequent. allergens. And mm-hmm. 38%, I believe it's 38% of those shoppers have the threat of anaphylaxis. Right. <laughs> and the, the allergen community is growing four times the general population. It's been growing at 4% year over year since 1997, I think it is. Um, So it's a massive opportunity. And consumers are – the allergen consumer is avoiding entire categories Mm -hmm. in the grocery store uh, because of that. And so because of just lack of confidence. So what we're doing is building the confidence within the category that Mm -hmm. these shoppers can go and know for sure because of all of the rigorous testing, because of the certifications that we have, that Mm -hmm. they can purchase with confidence and – you know, our tagline snack fearlessly. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, that's LK and that's going to be, that's gonna be really exciting later this year. Cool. I look forward to watching that. Yes. Very cool. I must, I imagine it's gotta be so fun to be able to kind of take that entrepreneurship lens to all four of those, especially Mm -hmm. under the Jack links umbrella to be able to kind of have the power of that behind you too. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm so fortunate. Like it's, yeah. I'm just, I'm very, very fortunate and I would say lucky sometimes to be here. I thanked the recruiter that dug my crappy resume. I don't, <laughs> founders don't know how to make resumes. I was like, I don't know no. how to make a resume. My resume sucks. <laughs> and like, I, one of the first things I did when I got here was like, find her in person to like thank her. Cause I'm like, 
I'm here because of you. Like, yeah. like this doesn't happen if you just decide to gloss over my resume. You know what I mean? And the opportunity is because of her. And so like, mm-hmm. I'm just super, super thankful because it was tr- it, like being here is truly life changing. I moved, j- you know, just being yeah. happy in what I do every day. It's, yeah. um, I wish everybody, I hope everybody can find this experience as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you say luck. I say you put in the work to understand yeah, what you were looking for and the kind of company and all of that. So yes, I'll, I'll let yeah. you land there. It's a mix. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle, thank you for your time. This is a, a fascinating conversation. Um, for everybody who's listening today, definitely go file, go follow Kyle on LinkedIn. If you're not already, um, he posts there frequently and a lot of great advice and kind of anecdotes and information about the industry, um, CPG, food and Bev across the board. So thanks again for taking the time for the chat today, Kyle. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Spilled Salt. I'm Maureen Bellatori. For more information about the podcast, visit www.agency-29.com. If you have questions for me, or you'd like to recommend a guest for a future episode, you can send a message using the contact form on the website. Like and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode.